When I retired from boxing, I was surprised to get a message from Mickey Rourke, wishing me good luck and saying congratulations on a great career. We've since met up and become good friends. I'm going now to talk to him about his life and career in movies and boxing. He wears the black trunks with red trim. His professional record, 34 victories with two defeats, 24 wins. By the way, a knockout hailing from Lippert Ireland. Introducing Andy Lee. Andy, you can see me? I can see you now. Uh, <laughs> you look real good. Mickey, Rock, thank you very much for joining us today. Um, I know you've had a tough time, as you said, one of your dogs recently passed away, and I know how much the dogs mean to you. Like, where, yeah, this, when that this, dog, this dog I had 21 years. Mm. Tough. I got to go pick up the dog's ashes today. Yeah. Your dogs mean a lot to you, don't they? They mean everything. Yeah. Thing. Yeah. I mean, you know, um, you get to a point in your life where... You can count all your friends on one hand, and then my dog's on two hands. <laughs> <laughs> Mickey, people will know you for movies, obviously, for acting, a world-famous actor, but people might not know that you've had a long career in life in boxing also. Maybe as much as acting, you've, you've had a career in boxing. Well, let's put it this way. I've, it's been long enough where I, felt my, I, I, I failed my physical twice, 20 years apart. <laughs> then the third one, wait a minute, then the third one, I passed with flying colors. How did, how did you start, Mickey? How, like, what age and how, what, what made you get into boxing? Truthfully, uh, I grew up in a neighborhood that was a really good place when my mother and father were together. And then my, my mother left my father and she married this asshole cop down in Miami. And we, he, lived, he lived in a real rugged section of town. And he had four boys. And they were all really tough. And I got my ass kicked by them for years. And basically, where I lived, back where I, I grew up, you settled everything with your fists. And I remember I was very, I was very quiet, very timid. And I didn't want to fight, you know. I didn't know how to fight. And uh, going to school every day, you had to walk over this bridge. And then there were the guys, there'd be like three or four guys sitting on the bridge, and they'd say, your lunch money or a punch in the arm. <laughs> so I would give up my lunch money. <laughs> and then one day, I was walking to school with this Italian kid named Jimmy Rizzo. And I noticed when, we, when I walked to school with him, these guys wouldn't even look at him. And then I kind of told him about what happens to me every day. Yeah, yeah. So he said to me, when after school, I want you to come into my backyard because I'm gonna show you how to fight. And he's taught me how to hold my hands up and get a speed bag and uh, and I, I really liked it a lot. And then uh, I got into the amateur uh, fights. I, I think I was fighting at, like, welterweight. You had a amateur record. I've read 27 and 3. Yeah. Very impressive. Well, the three, the three, the three were disqualifications, actually. <laughs> Do you remember why you got disqualified? One, yes. I, I remember exactly. One for hitting behind the head, one for hitting low, and one for pushing the referee. <laughs> I bet you disputed them all, <laughs> even oh, the push. Yeah. But, you know, back then, I was at the Fifth Street gym, you know, and Angelo Dundee was there, and, you know, so you'd see Ali there, Jimmy Ellis. Every day I saw Jimmy Ellis and Ali sparring, Jerry Quarry, Oscar Bonavena. Uh, Larry Holmes came later on, but it, it was the hottest. It was the hottest gym, you know, on the planet. Mm. Mm. And uh, 
I picked up a lot of bad habits. You know, you can pick up a lot of bad habits watching Ali fight, you know? Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, except like keeping your hand way low, you know, you got to be real fast. So it's like, you know, uh, actually, years later, I realized as I'm strong, I'm, I'm much better suited to fight on the inside. But it took me a long time to break the habit of, you know, Freddie always wanted me to fight on the inside. I just didn't have confidence in it. Freddie Roach. Freddie Roach. Yeah. Mm. yeah. Did you ever get any time with Angelo Dundee? Well, I mean, he called, you know, he's, hey kid, you know, I talked to Ali, we'd be taking a shower together. Mm. You know, I mean, we took showers together for like next to each other for, you know, about six years. Great. And, and you never used to spar with a headgear. Well, because I saw Jerry Quarry, he was the only other white guy in the gym. And I idolized him, you know. At the time, they called him the Great White Hope. He was a great fighter. Yeah, oh, tough. Mm. But him and his brother, Michael, Mike actually won a light heavy title. Jerry never fought, Jerry never won a title. I think uh, any other era, he might have been a champion. It's just that he was Any, there. any other era. But he knocked Ernie Shavers out with one punch. Mm. Yet, and he taught me how, Jerry taught me how to turn my toe and throw a really good left hook. Yeah. That was, that yeah. was Jerry's go-to punch. He'd throw a jab, a body punch, and then a left hook. Um, um, over your career in boxing, who was the best? You, I've read that you sparred some of the greatest fighters of all time. But to you, experiencing it, who was the best you ever sparred? Let's put it this way. My favorite person to spar with was for a couple of years with Duran. Roberto Duran? Yeah. Wow. The only reason was because I'm naturally a 68 or 75 pounder. He's a, he's a little guy blown up. He's a 135 guy blown up. So height-wise and physically, you know, I, I, was, I was okay. That would have been in the early 90s? Huh? When would that have been around? What, what year? That was in the early 90s, yeah. Mm. Roberto used to come to all my fights and walk me out. He'd be in the dressing room, you know. Uh, and then we'd go out to a, a Cuban rest, a Cuban, it was a restaurant. They would turn it to the nightclub. And I'd be playing the congas, and he'd be singing <laughs> and drinking champagne. And, uh, the funny thing about Roberto is, we would say, what time do you want to spar tomorrow? And we'd say, okay, two o'clock. All of a sudden, it'd be two, three, four. Roberto would show up like four, four thirty. And then my trainer at the time said, Roberto goes by Panama time. Meaning, <laughs> whatever time he gets out of bed. But Roberto, I love sparring with because. I sparred a lot of really guys that hurt me, but Roberto taught, like he would stop, he'd go, no, Mickey, no. And he would show me, like, don't, don't try to measure a guy. Because mm. I used to like measure him, and he'd go, he would go, no, no, I think, why is he telling me no, no? And I, I was just measuring him to keep him away from me. And then he took my, my hand, and he put my glove, he put my glove on his shoulder, and then he put his hand over my hand, and then he hit my elbow. Yes. Yes. And so I learned to stop measuring people. Yeah. 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 Then James Tony was the next guy for about two, three years. <laughs> you didn't pick him. You didn't. You didn't pick some. You didn't pick any easy gimmies anyway. Well, Freddie would pick. You know. <laughs> But I never, it, you know, I can say one thing. In three years, I never won one round with James Stoney. <laughs> would he have been, he wouldn't have been like Duran. He wouldn't definitely be, he wouldn't hold back. No, he, he would let no, his hands he go. Did, yeah. And he, he'd like talk shit to me, you know. And I, I, if you didn't say F you, bring, you know, bring him, you know, he, he'd eat you up. Mm. So there'd be a lot of, lot of uh, shit talk going on, you know. Yeah. Um, but James was, his technique, uh, he was taught by a guy named Pops, 
where he would, you know, he, he was like the first one that would Bill roll Strickland. his shoulder. Is that, was that who it is, Bill Strickland? Is that his real name? What? I, I, Pops, I think his name was Bill Strickland. Wasn't he, they're from Detroit, those, those guys. Something like that, mm. yeah. But he was an old dude, he called him, everybody called him Pops. I think I met him early, anyway, early in my days in the Kronk. Yeah, yeah. And he would, he would talk, teach James how to roll, you know, roll, step over, you know, step over, shoot a combination, step back over here, shoot another combination. So you could never, he was always in transition and set up to throw something at an angle where you were open. Mm. I mean, I think, I think probably I watched a lot of Monzon's fights and uh, some other people, but I would have to say James is probably definitely in the top three in his weight class of all time. Yeah, hard, yeah. hard to argue. Hard to, on his day, when he was fit and trained and disciplined. Yeah, not, but if you watch him take Evander Holyfield apart, he took him apart rather easily by just boxing. Because mm. James wasn't a... James, I mean, he had, he, he'd knock you out with either hand, but it's like he was more of a combination puncher than a one-punch guy. Which brings me to which brings me to the biggest mistake I ever made in my life was sparring with Tommy Hearns. <laughs> what happened? He dropped me in like the second round. I think it was a left hook, and he was fainting, and he'd faint with his shoulders and, and move, you know, like I was like, what the. F was coming at me, you know, mm. and his jab was, you know, I rated, I rate his jab and Larry Holmes's jab is the best jabs of all time. Jo Tommy's jab was like a jackhammer. It was just, yeah. it was, and I remember when I went down on one knee, I went back to my trainer, Bill Slayton, and I said, why'd you tell me to take, take a knee? He said, son, I didn't say anything to you. I went, oh, and then about, this was like three o'clock in the afternoon. Then about midnight at home, <laughs> I got very cautious. And I felt like I was gonna throw up. And, and I, I got all hyper and I was trying to call the doctor and I couldn't push the buttons on the phone. So my girlfriend had to do it. What I had, I never heard of it before, I had a delayed concussion yeah. from yeah. that punch. And uh, It's crazy when that happens. I remember one time I was sparring a guy named Kermit Cintron. He was a welterweight, but a big puncher. Wait, what's his name? Kermit Cintron. Uh-huh. He was Puerto Rican, but he boxed out Kermit of... Kermit Cintron. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah he yeah, boxed yeah. out of Pennsylvania. And we he were boxing... He was for a while. Mm, we, we were sparring. It must have been about 2 p.m. in the day. We sparred. Good spar. We did six rounds. And about 6 p.m. that night, we were having a sauna together and yeah. all of a sudden I said, Kermit, how did the sparring go? Because the previous three or four hours since the sparring, I just totally blacked out and couldn't remember or recall anything that had happened. <laughs> it just, that's, that's how hard he hit me. Was, was Kermit heavy-handed naturally? Very heavy-handed, yeah, he was a great baseball player. Uh, Is he still around? Is he still around or no more? Still around, but not, not fighting at the level he used to do. He was like, he was yeah. one of the best welterweights in the world at that stage. Yeah. Do you think, it like, um, preparing for fights helped you prepare for acting roles? I did. I, did. I studied so hard that I already had my technique down. Mm. So it was very easy for me. It's like, you know, you have a game plan. I already, I would, I would read the script a couple of times and make all my choices so I would have a, a plan A, a plan B. But I always, I was always, I always took the acting very personal, like whoever I'm working with. Yeah. Yeah. Like my mentality, it's like, no, no, no. It's me against you and I'm going to take you to school. That's why when De Niro and I worked together, uh, it didn't go very good. Yeah, I, I, yeah, it's one of my favorite films, actually, Angel Heart. Yeah, but he wanted me to bend down and kiss his ass, and he met the wrong guy. <laughs>
because I, I read something about it. Um, the, the director, Alan Parker, he said that it was like a sparring session when you two would share scenes. You know what? <laughs> He's a bit. He's a and a crybaby. He's a and a crybaby. Did you ever talk boxing with De Niro? Considering Raging Bull? Raging, raging my <laughs> Oh, God. No, he's a... He's a mm. As you have, I've read that you have, like, it seems that you have great respect for Al Pacino. I love Al. Al's mm. great. We're supposed to do a movie together. As soon as this virus is over. Okay. We're doing we're doing Pinocchio. Oh really? Yeah. <laughs> and I I wanted to work with him my whole life. Yeah. Yeah. And we get along great, you know. Yeah. Yeah. I was interested. Um, I read also that you've struck up a friendship after. Uh, you read a lot. Oh no, I, 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 Mickey. Since we've met and become friends, you know, yeah. uh, it's only enhanced my uh, respect for you uh, and uh, my following of you. But I read that about um, Bob Dylan. You have a friendship with Bob Dylan. Yeah, you know, and I got to tell you something. He's the most interesting man I ever met. Wow. I remember he would knock on my door, and I'd look out, and he'd go, it's me. <laughs> okay. And he says, uh, can I come in? And I said, yeah, Bob, come in. And he'd have his guitar with him. And he'd sit on the couch, and I said, can I get you a coffee, uh, you know, Coca-Cola, anything you, we want, you know. And he play the guitar and look over. So then, uh, right later on, we were talking at an, on the set at another place. But the whole time, he was in there, in my trailer. He didn't say one word. <laughs> <laughs> then, we're on the set together one day. And I, I was very enamored of him. And, and, I wanted, to, I wanted to be friends with him, you know? I really looked up to him. So I said, Bob, uh, do you go out? You wanna, why don't you wanna hit the town, you know? Friday, Saturday night. He didn't, he, he didn't look at me, but he just, he said, well, I don't go out. And I said, you don't go out. He said, no. he said I just had to, I just had a baby uh, with the girl I'm with. And I said, oh, I said, is it a boy or a girl? I'll tell you later. <laughs> he never told me. <laughs> but then, but then, a couple of years later, I got offered that movie, The Wrestler. Yeah. So as I'm reading it, I'm thinking, you know what I'm going to do? I'm going to call up Bruce Springsteen, because we're buddies. I'm going to ask Bruce if he'll write a song for the movie. So about seven days later, I'm in Miami, driving down the street. The phone rings. It says, Mickey. I said, yeah, it's Bruce. I said, oh, Bruce. Oh. I said, he said, I want you to listen to this. So I said to the guy, pull the car over, you know, pull the car over. And he sang me the song on the phone. And it was a beautiful song. And he did it in like seven days. And the song got, I think, well, it got nominated and shit. But like, so like, I was very proud of the fact that Bruce did me that honor, you know. And uh, you never thought of calling Dylan and asking him to write the song? Yeah, so, so, wait, so. The movie's out and everything. Then I'm at a I'm at a Bob Dylan concert after the wrestler movie came out, and there's all these movie stars there buzzing around, and I'm I'm just standing in the corner waiting for Bob to get done talking to him because I don't like any of them anyway. And uh, Bob comes over and he says, "Give me a cigarette." He says, "How come you didn't ask me to write that song?" Bob, I tried, I've been trying to call you for five months. <laughs> you can't reach. You can't reach him. You know he doesn't. He doesn't go out. Did he ever mention boxing to you, Bob Dylan? 
No, but they would, they would, we didn't talk about boxing he would, because he was doing an acting role. He was all, he spent the whole time picking my brain about the acting. Mm. But I knew he had a boxing gym. Yeah. And yeah. he would, he would always go there and I heard he would like hit the back, you know. <laughs> I heard a story. Do you ever meet a guy called Johnny Boz? He was an old matchmaker. Um, but What's his name? Johnny Boz. He ended up in Florida. No. I'm not sure where he was originally from. Uh, but he told me that he matched a few fights with Dylan back in the yeah. day. He, and Dylan had a few fights under a different name in the Midwest. This guy, Johnny Balls, would bring opponents in from the Midwest who had had good records but couldn't fight. And he said he, he matched Dylan on a couple of uh, small, like, small town, small hall shows. Really? Yeah, wow. yeah. So, he must have been real small. <laughs> yeah. Uh, so I don't know how true it is, but the legend, the legend grows yeah. on. Yeah, uh, I, it's hard, it's hard to picture that, but you know, I, I'll, <laughs> yeah, yeah. It's, a, uh, it's a nice thought. Yeah, speaking of the wrestler, how was it? What was it like working with Darren Ar Aronofsky? It was great working with him. A lot of respect for him. Uh, at the time, I couldn't get arrested. You know, get a, I couldn't get a job, and nobody wanted me. Just he wanted me. The producers didn't want me. Nobody wanted me, and so. He meets with me and he goes, do you know why I'm meeting with you? And I said, well, I heard there's a movie you're doing. And he goes, don't you ever disrespect me in front of the crew. I've known all about you. You give everybody a hard time. Don't you ever, ever. And his fingers come in like this and I'm going, he, he's got some balls. Cause normally you know, I'd break that thing right off and the fact that he he gave my respect just the way and he goes I'm going to tell you something if you do everything I say everything you'll get nominated for this movie and I believed him mm. and then he said I don't know if you're going to win but you'll get nominated after about six days working, I went to, my, I went to, I said to myself, we're going to the show, you know. Uh, we won the BAFTA over in England. We, we won everything except the big award here. But, you know, politics. Yeah. 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 That, that was, was a huge comeback, the wrestler. Not a comeback, but it was a huge, you know. Yeah, they, yeah I came back for like, for like two years, and then they put me on the shelf again. When they don't, when they don't want you back, you don't. Richard Harris used to tell me, he said, Mickey, he said you can't beat these, you know. And you know how mad Richard was, you know, because Richard, Richard and I were really close. Mm. It was funny because when I'd go to London, and we go out on the town having a drink, he was only allowed to drink in the hotel that he was living at. Because all the other bars he was thrown out of. But he used to give me great advice. What, what was your feel like, you know, when you, just the comeback after the wrestler, those two years, did it feel like retribution or did, were you, was, it, oh, was it tainted for you after, like, well, after you the previous years? Well, people don't want you to come back. Hmm. You know, my, my psychiatrist would say, my psychiatrist would say to me, Nikki, they especially don't want you back. Because with all their money and all their power, they can't control you. And they're afraid of that. When money and power can't control somebody, that makes them afraid. My life is about my honor, my dignity, my self-respect. It's never been about money. I've never cared to be rich. I don't even like the rich. But, and I did a good job throwing all mine away. But uh, the fame after the wrestler only lasted for like two years. You know, so I've been, I've been back in the shitter since then. You know, you know early in the, in the conversation, you, met, you talked about, you know, growing up, tough upbringing with four older stepbrothers are all tough on you. Do you feel like... Well, two, I know, two of them, 
Two of them were all military boxing champions. <laughs> they were real tough. Would you feel like that adversity growing up, you know, that hard upbringing, would you have had the success you ha you've had in life in boxing and in movies no. without no. it? No. Yeah. No. It's like when I was doing the movie with De Niro. And he kept crying about what I was doing to Alan Parker, right? There was a moment where he, he bitched a little too much. And then I remember, I didn't lose my temper or anything. I looked at him right in the eyes. And I looked right through him. And I was thinking to myself, listen, you you ain't been where I've been. You don't, you haven't walked in my shoes. There's no way you're going to win this. There's no way. You'd have to kill me, wake me up and kill me again. So, you know, I'm, when I do the acting, I do make it personal. Yeah. And it's like, yeah. but acting is very much like a fight. If you're fighting a guy that's physically strong, you know, like a, you know, like a big left hooker, you know, that's got power over you. You don't go out and try to match him with power. You know, you finesse him and let him shoot his load. And then you start picking him apart as you would do at this hand. <laughs> yeah. And it's the same way. you got to, you got to have a game plan. If he goes this way, it's like if you say you're going to kill somebody, I've never heard like a lot of people, gangsters, and I've been around a few, scream, I'm going to kill her. Uh, they just say it quiet, like, you know, mm. we're just going to take care of that. You know, quietly, we're going to take care of that. You know, you, they don't have to scream and yell it. And it's like acting, you know, it's like you make choices. How, you know, if something's supposed to be real angry, I don't listen to what the writer says. I make my own choice how I would handle it under similar situations. Yeah, because I also read, uh, I did a lot of reading, as you can tell. Uh, when you played the, the villain in Iron Man, they cut your scenes yeah. because you had you had, you had done what you had said. You didn't play him as a, yeah. a one-dimensional bad guy no. villain. No, they cut 80% of my performance out. Hmm. But I heard also that you went that you went to a Russian prison to prepare for that role. You spent time in a Russian prison. Is that true? Yeah, just a day. Okay. And then I had a Russian prisoner come to my hotel room. I spent some time with, and he had all these different tattoos all over like his body, and he took his pants down, and he had two eyeballs tattooed on his groin. And then he explained to me the meaning of that. And then there's all different kind of letters. So there's religious tattoos, there's mafia tattoos, there's neighborhood tattoos. And what, what did the eyeballs mean? Eh? What did the eyeballs mean? That he could see what's going on behind him. Ah. Ah. But he said to me, he explained something to me, the most Powerful tattoo, dangerous tattoo to have, is a little tiny eighteenth of an inch face of a cat on your neck. He said, you got to be way up there. Like, you got to be bad, powerful, and very crazy to have that tattoo. Yeah. Yeah. You got to be man enough to wear it. Um, um, but... That's just typical. I, di I gave, I did a kick-ass performance. Mm. When they screened the movie, we screened, you know, higher than anybody else. But it wasn't supposed to, because it wasn't supposed to be my movie. You understand? Yeah, but you, you were quite verbal in speaking out about that. And, you know, most people probably would have kept their mouth shut and played the game. No, I told, Car I told Carico, whatever company it was, to go f*** himself kiss my ass while I was doing a live TV show. But I, I put a lot of work into it, you know? Okay, they won't hire me now. Well, I, 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 listen, 
there's always somebody out there that's going to take a chance to hire me because I'm good at what I do. Very good. Very good. You know, you know, yeah, okay, I don't have $10 trillion in the bank. But you know what? If I did, where I come from, I'd spend it, I'd spend it as fast as I got it because when I had $7 million in the bank, I spent it as fast as I could and had nothing to show for it, you know? And what's is, is boxing finished for you now, Mickey? Because we, you know, we recently met. We met in 2018, and even then, we were talking about another fight. Okay, well, I'll tell you something on the record. Okay. I just came from Justin's gym, and I said to him uh, that I had spoken to Mikey Garcia. You know who that is right. Yep. And Mikey's a promoter. And I asked Mikey, I said, Mikey, can you, can you put me on a card? Because it's tough to get a license in L.A. So a couple, of, a couple of the guys introduced me to the commissioner and two commissioners. And both of them said, no problem, no problem, you know. Mm. Uh, so I got to take a physical. So I'm supposed to, I told Justin today, I'm like 200 pounds, fat as shit. I said, I got to get down to 175. I said, but let me take off at least 10, 11 pounds in the next two weeks. And then I'll come up and start working the mitts. And if I'm motivated, I'll fight in November or December. Yeah. If I'm not motivated, I'm not going to, you know, you know, you can, you know, it's going to happen if you're not motivated. Yeah. Unless yeah. I could train 110% like I did my last fight. I mean, I was as calm and cool as a cucumber because, man, I know how much I busted my ass and I'm going, that motherfucker in the other room, he didn't train like I trained. I knew how I trained. Yeah. And I knew every day I would go, okay, one more sprint faster than yesterday. Uh, one more round different than yesterday. Because my whole goal was, how can I be better? How can I be better today than I was yesterday? I didn't want to, none of this leaving it in the judge's hands. It was, no, no. There was no way it was going to go the distance. And, you know, along the way, I started to feel real comfortable with the, with the liver shot. I mean, I fell in love with it. Mm. And years ago, I was actually hit there you know, and by by like a guy two divisions lighter than me. And I remember I was at the Fifth Street gym in Miami. I remember rolling around on the ground going, you know, <laughs> you know, what was that, you know? And I should have started using it then, but it's like, I mean, I just, I just fell in love with that punch. If I could get motivated in the next 30 days, I'll fight in November or December. If I'm not motivated, in 30 days from today, I'm done. I always found that if you have the date, something to work towards, that's the, that's half the battle with motivation. But just training to train and not knowing when you're going to fight, it's always harder. It's, it's always well, harder to, to push yourself. Well, the thing is, it's like everything's pushed back with the movies right now because of the virus, and you know, but they're letting fighters fight with no audience. So, you know... Mm. I'm not, I don't want to sit on my ass and, you know, turn into, I don't, I was going to say somebody's name, but I, I know now not to say it. <laughs> Some talk you might be coming to Ireland for a potential movie in the future? Yeah, because there's a, uh, and there's a nun that I want to go see that, uh, it's a book about, she wrote a book about miracles mm. and she saw Jesus like, four or five times, and she's, she lives in Ireland. I never, I would always say my prayers, like sitting on the couch or, you know, just to myself, but at reading over half of the book, I go into my bedroom and actually get on my knees and say my prayers, and, and I, I go, okay, because she, in her book, she talks about how she prays three hours a day, and I went in there and go, I'm gonna try to pray for a half hour. And it's really hard. Mm. You know, I got to 25 minutes, 20 minutes, 15 minutes. 
Then I got the 35 minutes one day, and I went, wow. But I want to go over there, and I want to meet, I, I really want to meet her. How important uh, is your faith to you, Mickey? What? How important is, is your faith? I wouldn't be sitting here, brother. Mm. You know, the things that I had come my way when I was in my 20s, like the guys that I rolled with and the shit that I did, if my grandmother didn't install religion with me, uh, I realized one thing, you can't be a real gangster unless you can pull the trigger. And because of her upbringing, my grandma with me, I, I realized that I don't want to do that. So even though I was around the gangster life and doing doing a bit of collecting and a bit of hijacking and a bit of this and that, unless you can go all the way, you can't. You got to leave the life because if you can't pull the trigger, you, the other guy, the other guy's going to dust your ass. Yeah. So it's like yeah. the religion really saved me from probably sitting in a cell. Well, listen, all the guy, a lot of the guys I know, you know, they got, they went out early, they went out young, they never saw twenty five. So you know, Mickey, like living that lifestyle, what what you described, it's it's quite it's quite a contrast to being an actor. So how did that go? How did you go from running the streets wherever you might have been? Was that in New York or Miami at that time? Let me, let me put it this way. Something happened one time in Miami mm. and there was gunfire involved. Okay? Now, when you're running down the street with a little tiny gun and there's guys behind you with much bigger guns, <laughs> you go, wait a minute, wait a minute. F*** this shit. This is not for me. You know? It took that and I left town three days later. Yeah, but it's a different it's a different world, you know. It's like the acting's a world I never really, you know. I don't have any actor friends. It's not a life. It's not a world that I come from. Yeah, yeah. You know, well, I could how, think, how did you, how did you get how did you get into it? Like, what was the what was the, what was the spark? If that's your that's like how you regard okay, actors, was, or what, what what was your desire to to, to, to I, go down okay. the road? I was in Miami, mm. and I had a big wound, a cut on my leg, that I I was going to the beach and kind of rinsing out, hoping I didn't have to go to the hospital. And I bumped into a kid that I went to high school with the year before, and. Uh, we were on the same football team, and uh, he said to me that he had been going to acting school for the last several years over in London, and he was going to David Hemmings Acting School. And uh, he said to me, uh, he was directing plays at the University of Miami, and he said, I'm doing this play right now. He'd say, you'd be great for the role in it, to play this part. And I said, I don't know nothing about that. He says, oh, no, because this I'm working with this guy I fired, I did, he goes, it's, it's, it's about two men. It's a, about a, a white guy called Green Eyes and a black guy called Snowball. And they hate each other. And they're the two baddest guys in the prison. But in the morning, they're going to hang them both. So it's about a conversation that two guys are having that normally would never speak. And they realize that they have, that they're very similar. And so it was kind of was the words and everything kind of, I went, this is a lot easier than running and getting punched in the nose every day. <laughs> let me try, let me try this shit out. I'll give it five years. So I was up in New York. I wasn't studying that hard. 
I was kind of going through the motions. I had half, I had one leg in the street and one in the acting class. And on the weekends, I'd kind of make a weak attempt to go back, you know, go to the gym because I always, I, I, I never stopped going to the gym. But I'd make like a weak effort to think, well, maybe I'll do this again. Mm. I was still in my early 20s. Well, uh, director of On the Waterfront, Ilya Kazan, yeah. he yeah. said that yes. the greatest audition he ever saw was yours. Well, he's the one of, he's probably the greatest director who ever lived. Mm. I wish I wish I would have him now to direct me, you know. But my acting teacher told me, "How badly do you want to get into the school?" Because in those days, it was hard to get in. They'd only take two or three people out of a couple thousand a year. And the scene was between a father and a son. And she said to me, Mickey, how badly do you want to get into the school? And I said, more than anything, you know, plus it was competitive. She said, the only way you're going to get into the school is, is if you go find your father. And I was 25 at the time, and I left my father when I was six, and I was very close with him, loved, loved him. And uh, like 20-something years passed, and I got on a bus and went upstate New York, where he lived, and I found him. And we had a four-hour conversation, and then that next night, I had to do a scene between the father and son, and all it was in my whole body, in my head, in my heart, came out in the scene uh, of seeing my, my father. Because she said to me, when you see him, don't, whatever emotion you're feeling, don't let it out. Let it out tomorrow night, the following night, because it was it was it was a you know you don't see your dad for twenty years and then uh, you go talk to him and you say are you so and so and he says yeah and I say I'm, I'm Mickey and, uh, and then I said could we go talk somewhere and we went across the street. And and we talked, and uh, did you reconcile? Did you reconcile? Huh? Did you reconcile with him? It wasn't his fault. Mm -hmm. I've never gotten over not being with him. Uh, but when I got to go to that kind of place, when I'm acting, I just use bits and pieces of like him, him, because. I have such strong feelings about how I felt about him, you know, because uh, he, he died a year, he, he died a year after I met him, he died at 47, he drank himself to death. He actually was a bodybuilding champion. Really? Well, I mean, his real job was a carpenter or, or a... Uh, what are those guys called? Do they look over people's uh, uh, their workers on big houses? Caretaker, caretaker, oh, yeah. caretaker. Yeah, you know he never really had it. Like my my grandmother told me, he he never liked to work. He just liked to lift weights, look in the mirror, and screw your mother's girlfriends. <laughs> so. Um. Well, did he get? He get, did he get? To, did he eventually get to see you be successful? I know he died a year later, but by that stage, had you made it into? He saw a couple else? of things. Yeah, mm. he saw a couple of things. Oh wait, yeah, yeah, wait, no, no, maybe one, maybe one, maybe one television thing. I think mm. had come out. Yeah, something small on the telly. Yeah, yeah. but. Uh, it's I happened to I happened to walk into a store 
And I went into the store. It was a little sandwich shop that I remembered when I was little, he and I would go to on the weekends. And I just went into the shop because I remembered it. And the strange thing, Andy, is he was in the shop. Wow. Wow. Yeah. That's incredible. That's incredible. Yeah. Did yeah. you know him straight away? No, because, you know, he was a drinker. And when he, when, he, when he was young, he was really handsome, you know, really great. Like, had a phenomenal physique, won all these bodybuilding contests. And he didn't look like that anymore. But I recognized him by his back. He had like a really, still had like a big back. I recognized him from his back because he had his hair combed back. It was nighttime with the with, uh, sunglasses on and a, and a trench coat and motorcycle boots. You know, I thought that's a character. Uh, <laughs> um, but, you know, uh, and I liked him. I, I liked him. It's funny because, like, it's something I've been thinking about a lot lately. Myself having having two children and being able to, you know, afford them the things in life that I never had. Yeah. And how well, you spoke about how the ad adversity made you who you are, and that whatever adversity I had growing up definitely shaped me and drove me on to do anything I did in boxing. And I just wonder, you know, how much are you? Uh, by giving them everything they 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 want or need, how yeah. much you know yeah. you you actually hurting them or selling them shorter or you know. I, I just want. I think, there, I think I think there's a happy medium, you know. Mm. Like the kid who got me into the acting. His father gave him everything. He even gave me a job, you know. Uh, he liked fighters, so when I was an amateur fighter, he used to hire some of the out-of-work fighters at the gym. We were laying floors, and so he would always give us work. But his son, he gave everything to. Now, when he when them, when the old man died, the kid couldn't wipe his own ass, mm. and he fell apart. And he, he think he died like two years ago. When you see great fighters and their sons turn pro and try to fight, they're never as good as the the fathers. You look at any junior of a great fighter. Same thing with actors. Mm. You know? Because they don't have the life experience, I guess, or the character that's built. Hey? They don't have the life experience or the character that's built through adversity. Yeah. Yeah. Mm. I know a lot, and I know a lot of them, too. And I feel bad for them, you know? It's like, I'm very close to Steve McQueen's son. Yeah, yeah. Steve McQueen was the man. I mean, the young the young generation now don't know him, but there's not a fucking actor now, now, who's a movie star that could touch Steve McQueen. I mean, there's no nobody. Who? Tom Cruise? Give me a fucking break. Nobody could touch Steve McQueen. So how is his son gonna fill those shoes? You know. His son's a great kid, you know. Would you want us? Would you want your son to fight? I'll teach him how to box, but he's gonna have to want it himself. I think. Yeah. You know, it has to come from within, doesn't it? As soon as, as soon as someone punches him in the nose. Yeah. Is he a southpaw? He's only he's he's looking like a southpaw. I'm putting him on the play mat and he's hitting the little toys. <laughs> keep, keep him a southpaw. Nobody will want to fight him. Yeah. It's yeah. changed. It's changed now. I think, I think years ago, no one wanted to fight southpaws. Southpaws couldn't get a fight. No. Uh, I hate spar. I hate. I just bumped into a kid that I spar with all the time. Who's a southpaw? And it was like, he said, ah, oh, let's, you know, we can spar. You know, Vanis Matarosian? Oh, I know Vanis, oh, yeah. Yeah. Oh. Fucking! I chase him all around the rig, trying. Finally, what I realized to do is not chase him. I'd stand still and let him come to me. Yeah, yeah. And his father said to me, "You're smart." And I said, "No." Oh. I realize this is what Vanis wants me to do because he's a very slick fighter. 
uh, so I realized, you know, and he had a longer reach. He's really he quick. Mm. He's Olympian. Yeah, he I don't like know. Fought for the world title. It was a world title holder, I think, at light middle. And then he fought Golovkin, which yeah, is yeah. probably a step too far, move up in weight. At short notice, too. Yeah, because he's, he, he's, he's a good 6'2". Mm. But I think he fought at, like, only 154 or something. Yeah, he was a light middleweight super, superstar. Yeah. yeah. What did you fight, 68 or, seven, or 60. 75? Middle, 60? most of my career. I had a few fights at light middle. Um, but now I'm probably up at the cruiserweight division. <laughs> uh, my house right now mm. looks like a gym because all the gyms are closed. Yeah. Yeah. So you're just working out at home mostly? Hold on, I'll show you my I'll show you my house. Here, watch this. Uh, Here. Can you see that? Yeah. <laughs> oh, the oh, Who's that? My brother. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. I recognize him from your from your posts. Can you read that? Um Death long before he has run. No. Sitting, sitting bull. Yeah. Do, do you Hold live on. in Melrose, Mickey? What? Do you live in Melrose? No, I live. Uh, hold on. Here. Here's my kitchen. <laughs> With the speedball. And the body bag. <laughs> and the wall bag. Yeah. <laughs> do your eggs and do some uh, <laughs> speedball. There's Duran. Yeah, Duran. Yeah. Hold on. Oh, here's my last weigh-in. One seventy-five. Yep. Wow. Seventy-three wow. there. Wow. Uh, where are you at? Some office. This is the studio. Um, yeah, it's 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 a it's a radio studio. Look, what, look. Would you, I've worked here for three years. Why don't I show you something? I worked here for three years, and this has been on the shelf the whole time. I only saw it today. Your movie, The Wrestler. <laughs> look at that! Look at that big. It's been yeah. here the whole time. Great film. Yeah. Uh, Mickey, we'll go thank you, you very much. You know what happened? Well, I had to get myself up to my weight. Yeah. yeah. So I, I was about 188 pounds. I got up to 236, and then. The movie was over, mm. and then a girl I was going out with got sick, and I had to bring her to Europe for treatments. I put on another 11 pounds. When I came back to the States, I was 250 pounds. <laughs> it took me three years to get it off. But, you know, I would never put weight on again like that for a movie. Yeah, yeah. Hey, you know, look, it was worth it. It was a great performance on it. You know. And I would have failed every piss cup, every piss test in town, I would have failed. Uh, Mickey, yeah. thank you so much for your time. Really appreciate it. And uh, thank you for your wisdom and, and your insight and everything.